I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with Alex Savio. Alex is a married father of four from Southern California. He works in the medical field as a respiratory therapist, uh, and he started investing in real estate 15 years ago. Um, he's recently found his niche in uh, luxury short-term rentals. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear about this, Alex. And, and first of all, thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Jason, thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we met, gosh, I don't remember, a few months ago. It's probably been longer than a few mm-hmm. months, but a little while ago at, at yeah, a local yeah. meetup. We're both in Southern California. So um, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners your background and, and sort of everything uh, that, you know, where you started and, and, and where you're at now? Yeah, um, well, I wish I had a better story to tell people, but uh, where I found success early, but that wasn't my case at all. My success actually came um i started investing in the mid 2000s um just like everyone else and the market was um very similar to what it is today it was extremely hot people were overbidding uh going way above asking and um you know i was affected by that market crash uh, just like everyone else um i started investing and i had i was a terrible investor i had all these properties that were like negative cash flowing or barely breaking even and so eventually I had like, um, I tried to self-manage a property over here in Loma Linda, California, thinking I would, you know, uh, rent it out to some residents or, you know, uh, students and that never happens. And <laughs> I think my mortgage payment was like 3,200 bucks. And I think I was renting it out for 2000 bucks, negative cash flowing like crazy. And this is like 15 years ago when I wasn't making that much money. Um, and so eventually I, I wound up having um, a foreclosure, like sometime in 2012, somewhere around there, I just ran out of time and energy and eventually filed for bankruptcy. And, but the lessons I learned from that is I needed like extreme cash flow to win the day. Um, and so eventually that's how I got turned on into short-term rentals. So I invested, uh, I, I tried to get into apartments and it just wasn't happening at the time. So my CPA kind of turned me on. She said, Hey, a lot of my clients are making good money with short-term rentals. You should really consider it. I had no idea what that was. And this is 2020, you know, not that long ago, this is maybe uh, less than two years ago. And so eventually I, you know, I, I start doing some research, like what are the best markets to invest in? Someone told me the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. I had no idea where that was. I'm here in Southern California. Um, I started doing some research and like, hey, these numbers make sense. But this is in the middle of a global pandemic. This is July of 2020. I invest in a luxury short-term rental in the Smoky Mountains. Um, at that time, that house was sitting there, um, you know, vacant. It, it wasn't sold. It was on the market for 40 days and the market completely turned like maybe a month or two after that. But um, so that was my first one. 
in uh, I closed August 2020, and here we are in March of 2022. Um, I have five short luxury short-term rentals and two more being built. So, and those ones, I mean, the cool thing with um, short-term rentals is you don't need that many to be financially free. You just need a handful. So, yeah, that's where I am today. Awesome, awesome. Um, are you still working as a respiratory therapist? I am. Yeah, yeah, a little bit longer. Yeah, a little bit longer. Okay, wasn't sure if you had gotten to that point or what kind of what your plan was as far as uh, you know leaving the W two at some point. Um, yeah, so- my wife was is also a respiratory therapist. She retired like shortly after, like maybe three months into it. We just saw the bookings like left and right. We're like three thousand dollar booking, four thousand dollar booking. We're like, oh, this is easily more than what you make. Yeah. And and the thing is, we didn't want to be both working and what happens if a guest contacts us you know, while we're both at work or something like that. So she was able to leave. And then, you know, I I still enjoy my job. I really enjoy it. Um, There's some security there that I need to get rid of, uh, you know, uh, just (laughs) some fears uh, before I get to that point. So, yeah, I I understand. I understand that feeling. (laughs) Um, Well, that's, that's super cool. So you, I actually didn't know that part about, you know, having gone through the bankruptcy and everything. And I I think it's, you know, that happened to a lot of people. You're right, right around the market crash. People had issues. Um, but I think what I really like about it is that, you know, you didn't let that sort of stop you. You, you, you know, kind of came back to it and, and knew that real estate investing made sense. And, and you pivoted, I guess, in terms of strategy. And it, it's funny that you say, oh, I, you know, I, I was negative cash flow. It's like, well, we can do that now in Southern California, too. That's not... <laughs> That, that's kind of a, a factor of, you know, maybe the, the market that we live in. So when you, when you got that first short-term rental, it, it was, I mean, July of 2020, obviously it was a, you know, sort of a, a scary time. What, what sort of went through your mind? What was your mindset about doing that? Did you have any concerns like, oh, you know, pe- people aren't going to travel and here I am <laughs> buying a, a cabin in the Smoky Mountains. Like what, what were your, what was your right. thought process? Yeah, it's crazy, right? Um, I'm, I'm a little reckless like that. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I ran the numbers. Um, at the time, I, we were analyzing a bunch of different multifamily units. Um, and there was this one we were about to jump in on. It was in Kentucky. And the population was 5,000. And I'm like, oh, I really don't want to do this deal. It was a heavy value add. We're probably going to cash flow 2,000 bucks but I was trying to get my first multifamily deal. And in the end, I, I convinced my partners, we shouldn't do this thing. And so we backed out. And then I told myself, you know what, if I'm comfortable taking on this C-class property, 60 unit for $1.2 million, that's a heavy value add, you know, population was pretty low. And then I looked at this luxury short-term rental for half the price that was going to generate two and a half times more income. There's sure, sure you, you better well be comfortable doing that versus the other one. And so then I jumped in and then really it was just networking with a lot of different individuals that were doing the same exact thing. And once, you know, um, I started hearing multiple people like absolutely killing it in that market then that's when I felt comfortable. And then obviously you can learn everything on YouTube nowadays. And so I must have like binged. I mean, from the second I called my agent, 
um, until the time I got a property under contract, it was two weeks. It was two weeks. I went there, visited, saw the property, made an offer. And then like from two weeks from, hey, I'm going to pivot into short-term rentals, uh, I was in. But in that two weeks, I was just consuming info left and right, contacting um, uh, investors left and right. So then I felt comfortable getting into that. So Yeah, that's awesome. And I guess I would... I wouldn't say reckless. I think that, that there's, this is, I think essentially that mindset that separates real estate investors from people that just never do it is that you're, you calculated the risk and then you saw that, you know, there could be great reward. And, and as you know, sort of (laughs) foreshadowing, I know that there's been great reward for you. So when Take us through that process. Like you get the first one, you got under contract in two weeks. What what kind of happens when you when you do that? Yeah, you, so I went and visited the market, um, and you know it's it's crazy because my agent, I, I had no idea what the homes in the Smokies were going to cost, and I've invested tons of real estate out of state, all of them like sixty, eighty, a hundred thousand dollars, and I get there. And she's like, this is the one you need to buy $600,000. And I'm like, my jaw almost dropped. I'm like, (laughs) what are you talking about? We're in Tennessee. And a lot of Southern Californians are bougie. We're going to look down on other states. Like, you know, they don't, you know, even when today, when I tell people I invest in Tennessee and Alabama, they're like, oh, what are the homes? A hundred thousand, 200,000. I'm like, no, they're more expensive than here. You know, the ones I get are 600, $800,000 or close to a million bucks. And they're like, what are you, what the heck are you, you know, you have an amazing view or is it a mansion? I'm like, no. But the thing is we're buying them based on the income potential. And so like once we get the property under contract, obviously you have the due diligence phase. It's a, it, it, it takes about a month, the same exact thing. But the cool thing with this, the short-term rentals, you start getting guests right away. And actually truth be told, like I said, I'm kind of reckless and I've made tons of mistakes in the past. I don't hide any of that. We wound up putting our property live by accident. Like we we put the wrong date. And so <laughs> all of us, like when we hit the live button, we get a booking like within five minutes. And we're like, oh crap, we got a guest coming in three days. And it, we meant to have it happen in two weeks because we didn't even have any like bed sheets. We didn't have any linens. <laughs> but we looked at it, we said, holy crap, like these people just paid us $500 a night times four. And we're like, that's 2000 bucks. That's almost our entire mortgage. Our mortgage is like 2,600 bucks. And we said, we're going to do whatever we can to get this guest in here. Uh, we'll pay whatever we can to get the, the bed sheets on there. Um, and I think we paid like an extra thousand bucks to get the bed sheets on there. And so in the end, we're like, okay, that's a win-win. You know, we, but we didn't lose out and cancel the guest because we, we started doing research. You never want to do that. And um, yeah, and, and then the cleaners were upset at us, like, hey, what the heck's wrong with you? Now we got to rush in there and clean the property and fit linens and everything. I said, I'll pay you whatever you want. What do you want? A thousand bucks? And then they said, yeah, that's fine. So <laughs> then they were like, yeah, and then <laughs> right. And then from there, it's off to the races. Because the thing is that I closed, like, like I said, August, and it's still like the tail end busy season. And then you have Labor Day weekend and, and so on and so forth. And then like... It, it, it's it's crazy because you realize you're onto something right away. And then like right away, like within a month or two, I get another one under contract and another one and another one and another one. So when you, when you go live with them, 
<laughs> that's a funny story. When you go live with them and you start getting these bookings and things like that, how far, I mean, how far out are people booking or does that kind of depend on what part of time of year it is? Like if, if it's not the busy season, are you seeing the bookings out months yeah. in advance versus like, if you're right in the middle of it, they're, they're coming up fast. Yeah. Um, so I'll let you in on a little secret. So what I do is I apply whatever the airlines do. Right. So I actually, for me, I actually jack my prices up and it depends on your comfort level. Cause a lot of people want to get bookings right away. Cause the thing is, I think, um, a large percentage of the population will book 40 days in advance. Right. Mm -hmm. With me in the busy season, I, especially in the Smokies, because if you go to that market, you realize that supply and demand are heavily in your favor and there's just not enough places to stay. And so what I do is I jack the prices up to where they can't book my place 40 days in advance. If they do, they're paying an, a very high premium for it. And then what I do is when it gets closer to um, the booking date, especially during summer, uh, then I open it up and then like the airlines, what happens when you book a last minute flight, the yeah, prices no, start going up, right? Yeah. Right. And so that's what happens with me. Um, I tend to start increasing my price. And the thing is there's, there's all of these tools nowadays. And if I were to start investing in luxury short-term rentals, maybe five, 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have done it because the technology wasn't there. Like the technology is still brand new and still evolving. So there's all of these apps that I have, like I have a pricing tool app that will increase the price slowly as the date comes. So I actually make like probably 20, 30% more in the busy season because of that strategy. And that's significant. You're talking in July, one of my rentals generated uh, $30,000 in that one month. That's and crazy. so that it probably would have been closer to $20,000 had I like had it booked way early. But the thing is, when you're getting last minute pricing, you could generate so much more. And I do that for the for the busy season. So. Yeah, no, that's I mean, that's a great strategy. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so the just on that technology, that app does it automatically for you. It's sort of you can automate it in there and just say, you know, I, bump it up these increments, you know, as it gets closer and closer to the date. Right. There's all these dynamic pricing tools, but I tell people it's just like uh, driving a Tesla. You know, it's not supposed to be completely automated. And there, you do need a human behind the wheel driving and really telling the app what to do. Um, so a lot of times people will get these apps and say, hey, it, it's automated. It's completely hands off. But I guess that's what differentiates me. I obsess with it and I completely, I, I still tweak like the automated app. But yeah. yeah, and those apps are like, I mean, you're talking 20 bucks a month or something like that. Or, I mean, it's not that expensive, not completely worth it. Yeah, yeah awesome. So um, you're in the Smokies and you're in, what's your portfolio look like? I guess, you know, where, where are your um, units located? Yeah, and so my portfolio is actually small, but that that's, that's a strategy, right? I could have easily purchased a lot of these smaller homes. Um, but the thing is when you have to communicate with guests, you don't, you'd much rather have uh, five larger properties versus like 10 to 15 properties. Cause now you're dividing your time up. Right. And so uh, we have two um, larger luxury short-term rentals in the Smoky mountains right now in the Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Um, the second one actually has an indoor pool. And if you could get one with the indoor pool, it absolutely kills it. 
absolutely crushes it. I have an A to B comparison because one has a pool, one doesn't. It's the same exact builder too. And both of them are four bedrooms mm -hmm. and both of them are about the same location. And the indoor pool absolutely crushes it because it different, you differentiate, you differentiating yourself from others. And then I have three more in uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama. So um, they're beach properties. It's kind of like a bucket list thing for me. I never in a million years thought I would own something on the beach. And here I am with three beach properties. You know, um, that's a new market for us. It's completely different. Um, so we'll see how that, that market goes. We're, we, we just went live, like, um, uh, uh, recently we acquired them just maybe three months ago. So. Oh, okay. All kind of all three at the t same time. Did you buy them as a portfolio? Yeah. Or? It was a 1031 exchange. Um, like I said, uh, once you find something that that's working for you, you, you go all in. And so I had all of these, um, long-term rentals that were cash flowing, maybe a hundred, 200 bucks. Some of them were cash flowing more like 500 bucks. And the market had gone up, um, you know, they depreciated, but, you know, I was in C-class neighborhoods. They're all like 80 to $100,000. Some of them were paid off. And so I wound up selling those and uh, using that money to get into these beach homes, something that I never, like I said, never thought I'd have. So, Gotcha. And, and then right now we also have, sorry. So right now we also have two more that are being built that we have under contract in um, the Smoky Mountains. So. Okay. Let's talk about the ones being built because I've heard a lot of people and maybe that's just a, a supply issue, right? People, you know, there's not yeah. a lot of already built homes available because uh, short-term rentals are so hot. So uh, tell me a little bit about that. How did you kind of decide to make that step and, and how's it going? Yeah, a lot of it was luck and a lot of it was just keep working. So um, the first short-term rental I bought, like I said, was on the market for over 40 days. That one absolutely crushed it. That one generates $130,000 a year. Um, and about half of that I keep. But what happened was um, when I decided to get another one, I, I contacted my agent again and she said, hey, um, the same person that built your home is building another community. And I love the first one. So I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll get the second one. Um, and then when I thought about it, I said, oh man, I should have got two or three of them, you know? And so I went back to her maybe a couple of weeks later. I said, hey, you know what? Are there any more available? She said, no, are you crazy? Those things sell out within 24 hours. But I do have another one coming. This, that same builder is acquiring a different lot um, and he's going to build more. And so I said, okay, let me know when it happens. Um, I was the first one she called, got another one under contract, made the same stupid mistake, called her back a, an hour later or a, a day later. I said, because there was 22 lots. And I said, you know what? I should have bought all 22. Yeah. And she goes, you should have, but you only bought one, you know, <laughs> and at the time getting it under contract only required like $3,000 earnest money. Right. And so, you know, I put $3,000 earnest money locked in the price. Um, since then, I mean, I got that under contract October of 2020 and they're still not billed. There's a supply and demand issue. COVID's affected it. Obviously you have lumber prices that went up and the supply chain issues have greatly infected, um, um, those that, that, you know, the, the builders. And so, but I got that under contract for like one of them, we got under contract for, um, six ninety, $690,000, but it's easily worth $1.3 million today. Yeah. And so even if I just didn't want to talk to one single guest at all, 
um, the second it closes, I could easily just turn it around and sell it because there's so many people trying to buy luxury short-term rentals. And especially that with the indoor pool, uh, cause they generate so much income. Um, I could easily sell it, um, and get something else if I wanted to, or, or keep it. We'll see. Yeah. So it's all you've had to put into it so far is that the, like the $3,000 earnest money. And you're just, yeah, but see, yeah. And, and the problem now is that everyone wants to do the same exact thing. And like I said, I was a fool for not buying all of them. <laughs> um, so now the builders um, are requiring like 5% down or something like that. Cause they, they're hip to the game now. They're like, right. or some of them want 10% down. So you're talking 10% down on a $80,000, $800,000 home. It could be $80,000 yeah. non-refundable yeah. earnest money. We have no idea what, what's going to happen with interest rates, what might happen to the market, whether it crashes or not. And so, and what if it doesn't appraise at that point? Like, and, and they're so behind with their builds, it could take them. What happens if it takes them two years? Um, right. that's the blessing and a curse with that market is that, um, there's just not enough, uh, hands on deck to build these things. So, um, the reason why it's a blessing is because I feel like it can't get oversaturated. Like they can't build these homes fast enough. Yeah. And so your competition is just slowly coming in. It's not like, um, let's say, um, if a, a builder came in, like, I don't know, DR Horton or KB homes came in and just said, well, we're going to build 2000 homes. You know, and then all of a sudden you have all of this uh, competition with us, just the competition kind of steadily uh, comes in. So, yeah, yeah. And there you're not going to, I guess, not that that couldn't happen, but with the with the supply chain issues and all of the you know labor shortages and all of that, I think it would be it's not like another company is going to come in there and not have those issues. So you've got right. those same, you know, those same delays are going to happen no matter, no matter who it is. So, yeah, I mean, that's right. a great point as far as just the, the supply and demand isn't going to change that much because you're, you know, you can't essentially <laughs> people can't, can't keep right. up with it. So yeah, it's, no, it's a, it's a very valid point. Um, so what's your, what's your plan? I mean, what are are you just going to keep kind of uh, digging in on short term rentals, getting more and more yeah. of these? I know you said, you know, it's better to have a small number and manage them. Yeah. But what how I know, you know, for myself and a lot of people, I think it's like you're like, oh, yeah, I just want a few units. And then you're like, well, mm-hmm. if I have a few, that's yeah. good. What if I have twice as many, you know, and it's just kind of get in that yeah. cycle. What are you what are yeah. your what are you looking forward to as far as the future? man um really good question because i could tell you i I don't know because the thing is the goalpost keeps changing when we first got the first short-term rental we said let's just get one and then all of a sudden we had this goal like hmm maybe if we had really just three or four we could probably replace both of our incomes easily well we blew past that and then we're like well what if we double our income you know um and We'll pretty much hit that earlier this year or, or, or yeah, sometime this year. And so the goal really isn't the amount of units anymore or the cash flow that has nothing to do with it anymore. Um, number one, I just want to help others kind of do the same exact thing. Um, and so I answer investor questions left and right all day and talk to them. And then it's about helping others and providing value to others. Now that's really all I focus in on. And then whatever comes from that comes from that. 
Um, cause now, um, I talk to so many different investors and they're like, Oh, I'm invested here. I'm invested here. What about here? And so you get this shiny object, object syndrome and you're like, yeah. maybe I do that. Maybe I think about that. You know, uh, like I met one person who does, uh, Airbnb arbitrage, who doesn't own any of the properties, um, little out of pocket, but he's generating, you're talking like maybe 60, $70,000 a month profit. And you're like, well, what the hell am I doing here? You know, you always find all these different things. Right. So I don't know. Um, you know, I, before short-term rentals, I wanted to get into multifamily. I still think that's, you know, that's something I want to do because I've seen a lot of um, people convert their their multifamilies into like short-term rentals or midterm rentals. Yeah. And I, I see the extreme potential there. I mean, there's a huge play there that not a lot of people are doing. Um, so we'll see where this goes. Uh, I don't have an answer for you as far as numbers of units or, or, or money. It's really just a goal of, of helping others. And really, I just want to do something cool and hang out with some cool people. Um, so we'll see where this takes me. If I do nothing from here on in, I'm perfectly fine. I mean, like financially, I'm fine, but I just want to do something cool and have a purpose there. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, I think that's great. I think the, the it's true and, and you know, probably a good sort of segue here into, you know, sort of the next component of the, of this was asking you questions, but I think that it's true that, that, you know, the goalpost shifts, right? It's like you're, when you start, you probably don't have the mindset of how, how successful it actually can be. You, you don't, you didn't anticipate that you were going to get, you know, one short-term rental and that was going to be enough to retire your wife. Like, it, it's just like, that's pro- not, not necessarily on the radar when you start. So then when you see the potential and things like that start happening, and then it's like, you get some of that success and it's actually easier to build on that success. So now you know how to do it. You can, you know, you can kind of just repeat that process. As you said, you know, those, if you had, uh, you should have bought all 22 lots, like, but at the time that wasn't right. That's like not on your radar. Maybe now if that same opportunity pops up, you're, you're buying 22 units or 22 uh, lots. So Mm -hmm. it's just kind of one of those things that it's like, you just, as you, as you grow, you figure out, you know, kind of what you want to do with it. So, um, Really cool. Well, well then let me, let me do that. Let me switch gears here and ask you the questions that I ask every guest. And the first one um, maybe touched on a little bit, but the first one is based on the name of the show being know your why, but, but what is your why, what, what drives you and not necessarily what is your financial goal, but, but sort of what's, what's behind it. Um. So everyone has like the same exact why that, that I hear it's all about their family and all of that. Um, and that is the main reason I, I look at my family and I want to, you know, provide them something better than what I had. Unfortunately, that's not really what drove me more than anything. Really. I was miserable at work <laughs> and it was like, I had, um, you know, um, some stuff happened and it was like, I just, I looked around and I said, this can't be my life. I can't stay here for the next 20, 30 years. And I work in an area where I see that I, I see what my future was going to be. I saw people that were there for 20, 30 years and I saw they were absolutely miserable. And that fueled me so much more like getting into real estate was because of my family. What really put a, um, what, what fired me up was like, Oh my God, this can't be my life. I can't get, you know, that, that can't be me. 
Um, and then that kind of, you know, propelled me into the short-term rentals to replace my income. And then now my why is really just, just helping others now, helping others get to that same, same point. Um, so now I created a, a healthcare professionals investing in real estate. That's kind of, that's my Facebook group. Um, cause I want to help other healthcare professionals kind of do the same exact thing, whether it's, um, you know, short-term rentals or other asset, you know, other avenues of real estate. So. Are you doing any, uh, like mentoring or coaching or anything like that? Um, not, not, I guess not official. I don't know how many other people I've helped, but I, I don't charge anybody for it because a lot of like, it, it goes back to your why. Um, I think I could have definitely partnered and put out a course, but, um, um, I get more, um, um, uh, what's called, um, I just get more pleasure just seeing people get to financial freedom and getting to a certain point in their life where they're in the same area as me. They're like, okay, I, I don't have to work anymore if I, if I don't, if I don't need to. Um, and I just want them to get to a point where they're in, enjoying working because they, you know, just cause they, they enjoy working. Um, but I don't offer those courses and I've done everything for free to tell you the truth. I'm, like I guess I'm kind of reckless. I probably could have made uh, a grip of money there, but like I said, I, I just, in, like making a thousand bucks, 2000 bucks off someone that, that doesn't move the needle for me at all. Moving the needle is just seeing someone successful. So. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I agree. I mean, I think, I, you know, a lot, a lot of people create courses, they make money off their teaching and I, and I don't, that's fine, but I, that's always been something that I've, I just, I do. I just, I just want to help other people. It's like, right. it's more satisfying to just see them, you know, sort of achieve something, achieve some financial freedom, just grow. It's, just, it's you know, kind of the same way I feel about, you know, when, when we're syndicating and bringing in investors, it's like, I want, I want to, I want to give them their distributions. Like I want to give them, I want to multiply their money. Like, I think it's, right. it's great to, to really help people out that way. So it's, it, that's very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, right. second question then, what is something about you that maybe isn't common knowledge that people don't know, uh, special skill, hobby, anything? Yeah. So I'm Asian and I'm from Southern California, but I'm like this hardcore Cleveland Browns fan. And it's probably <laughs> the worst thing about me. Cause it, I, I hate the fact that I'm a Cleveland Browns fan because our team sucks. And so whenever people see it, they're kind of surprised. Like I, it, you know, at my workplace, I have a, a badge that says Cleveland Browns yeah. that holds, you know, and it's this huge thing. It's not, it's not small either. And people always look at it like, what? Like that doesn't, that picture doesn't make sense. So that's anyway, that's one thing about me. Okay. <laughs> then I have follow-up questions. First of all, how did you become a <laughs> Cleveland Browns fan from Southern California? That That's one, right. <laughs> one key question. Yeah. How does that happen? <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> just like really? randomly picked you know no. so what it was is um so i'm 42 years old um you know in the 80s there was this game tech mobile that i used to play all the time and the raiders were my favorite team i just hand the ball off to bo jackson every single time run it right up the middle he'd go eight 80 yards every single time and so i'm like okay um this game is pretty cool but the raiders left and I was so upset at the Raiders when they left. They broke my heart. And then um, the second team I used to play, like when I played Tech Mobile, is I would I would play the 
I'd be the Cleveland Browns because they had this amazing punt returner, returner, Eric Metcalf, and I would just love to return the punts or whatever. And then they had this quarterback I like, Bernie Kozar, that used to try to throw the ball sidearm, and I used to try to do that, you know, growing up. And so when I had to pick a team, it was unfortunately the Browns. And, and the thing is, Browns fans are absolutely miserable. So, um, <laughs> but uh, now I'm stuck. Amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Stuck. Now it's your, okay. Second follow-up question to that. Are you happy about getting Deshaun Watson? Um, conflicted. Okay. Yeah. Conflicted because of all of the um, stuff that's going on. And maybe I just don't know too much about it. You know, I would have, I would have loved our, um, our regular quarterback Baker Mayfield, but he just wasn't okay. getting the job done. Um, and we had to move on. I don't know. I don't know how many jerseys I have. I have every single jersey. Like, oh my God, Tim Couch. Like, every, I have like twenty jerseys upstairs of different quarterbacks. I'm tired of buying jerseys. So, yeah. um, <laughs> it, it, after all of this, all of the things that's going on in the media with Deshaun Watson, I and the fact that we replace quarterbacks every two three years, it's hard for me to buy his jersey. So, yeah. No, I. I yeah. That's <laughs> I, as a. <laughs> I, I'm a. I'm a big Patriots fan. So. I, I'm oh, sort wow. of in, indifferent <laughs> yeah. to uh, to the Browns, and other than almost yeah. sort of feeling bad for Browns fans. But but yeah. I think yeah, me and my friend are big football fans. We were talking about it, and it's like yeah. they gave up a lot. They gave up a lot to yeah. to get. I think a question mark as to even whether or not he gets suspended. Yeah. But anyway, we'll <laughs> we'll see. I hopefully it works we do. Out. Yeah, Adrian. <laughs> yeah. We make bad decisions. That's yeah. what we do. <laughs> it does seem it does seem to be the theme. But uh anyway, <laughs> off topic, but I was just I was really curious because that's that's funny that you're a Browns fan in from in Southern California. Um all right, next question. Uh, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, Alex, what's what's the best way to to get in hold of get a hold of you? You can find me on social media, uh, Instagrams uh, at the real Alex Sabio, uh, or you just type in Alex Sabio, it should come up. Or on Facebook, I'm, I'm really active in on Facebook. Just type in Alex Sabio, or you could find our um, our Facebook group page. I'm really active there. Um, um, healthcare professionals investing in real estate. So. Awesome. Final question: What piece of advice would you give to someone who's getting started in real estate uh, to help them? you know, kind of achieve the level of success that you have? Yeah, just jump on in. It's not going to be perfect. And where you start isn't going to be where you finish. If you told me when I started investing in 2004 that I'd be investing in Eastern Tennessee, like what, what are you talking about? And in Airbnb, like there's no way I would have thought that, but just open your mind um, just get started, just start doing something. Cause you're going to learn something from it. I made tons of mistakes. I had a foreclosure and a bankruptcy, almost lost everything. I've been scammed, um, like out of 16 grand into a home that really wasn't, uh, the developers, the developer didn't own it. He went, he wound up going to jail. So the thing is you're, it's not going to be all home runs. Eventually what you do is you just want to keep falling forward just keep falling forward and eventually you'll get to somewhere you want to be. So. Yeah, no, that's a great piece of advice. It's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight and it's, you know, it's something that you just can keep building on, you know, even the, even the mistakes, the things that go wrong, whatever, you just keep building on those and using them as learning, um, mm -hmm. you know, learning moments. Um, yep. No, absolutely. And it's great. I mean, it's, it's a great piece of advice and, and your, uh, your persistence, I think is really, people can listen to this and, and see, 
you know, hey, some things went wrong, but but here you are, and and now things are going very very well. So, um, right. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Thanks for thanks for coming on, Alex. Really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of great advice here. So, um, thanks again. Sure. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'd All like right. to Have show day, you everyone. why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.